Hey, this is Pastor Ali, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date with Bold Church, if you want to find out when our next gathering is or how to live stream an event, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Good morning, good morning. Who's excited for church? Come on. Wow, three of you. Awesome. I know it's hailing, so you're discouraged. Uh, if we have not met, my name is Ali, and my beautiful wife and I, we started Bull Church five years ago in a hotel, Valencia. And then COVID happened, we did church online, like everybody else, Netflix church, where it looks like church, it sounds like church, it just didn't have the fire that's in this room, amen? And then the last two years, we have been at five o'clock at another place, and even Jesus couldn't find us at five o'clock. And we've been in this room for seven weeks, and it's amazing what God has been doing. So if you're new, welcome. Uh, just some quick announcements. It's on your screen. Uh, in, in next week, we are every month, we allow people who, who are coming on a weekly basis, want to take their next step in this church. And if, you, if you're loving what you're seeing, if what you're loving with the, the community that you're part of, Growth Track is your next step. Who's gone to Growth Track? Come on, make some noise. Come on. Hey, the dream team, they make the, the teamwork makes the dream work. And on Friday, March 24th, we're trying to like, now that we have our own building, we don't need to set up and tear down for four to five hours. We're trying to do these quarterly prayer nights. And on, this is two weeks before Easter. So on March 24th, mark your calendars, Friday, TGIF, come on. Grew up in the 80s, full house. Jesus, come on. Uh, and then on the, the March, April 1st, not April Fool's Day, what we want to do is we want to let our community know that there's a new church here. And we're going to gather on Saturday around 10 or 11 o'clock. We're going to pray for a little bit and then go hang a thousand door hangers and let this community know there's a a life-giving church here. Amen? And uh, let me just quickly pause and tell you, there are two times during the year where if you invite a friend, they are more likely, nine out of ten times, to say yes. And everyone in this room, we have that one person, our friend, that we want to be in this room. But then there's that other person. Maybe a a sibling or a family member. Maybe we're not really friends with them, but you and I know they need Jesus. And so we we normally say, who's your one? This year we're saying, who's your two? Because Easter's coming, man, and the tomb is empty, and there's news to tell. Amen? We're having two services 9 and 11, and I'm just letting you know, if you've never served in our church, it is all hands on deck. We're going to need you, because Jesus is going to bring a bunch of people, and they're going to find him. They're going to walk in one way, leave another. Amen? We are in a collection of talks called Killer Church. And uh, this has been, a, a, for me, a very fun collection of talks. I, I get to talk about things I normally don't talk about. And uh, every week, it's been different. And normally, if you're new here, you, you see this. Once a year, if you are part of our community of faith. And this, I bring this helmet out, not as a fashion statement, you know, because I'm Bob the Builder right now. But it's, it's, it's more of a prophetic declaration that there are times right after the sermon, people come up to me like, oh my God, Pastor Ali, that was such a good sermon. This ain't going to be one of those days. <laughs> I mean, you're laughing, thank God, you know. I, I, 
often when I preach, especially a couple weeks ago, we talked about something very heavy, sin. Then we talked about the, the Bible and then the holiness of God. Today is going to be a very different tone. You're almost going to feel like I'm coming at you. It is a challenge. And I, wear, I bring this helmet because there's one or two times during the year where I'm coming at you. If you're new, I'm telling you right now, your butt cheeks are going to be clenched for about half an hour. And it's a challenge because there are times hard words produce soft people. And you need this. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? I'm going to put this down here. Uh, This is Pedro the Builder, Bob the Builder for, for the rest of us. Luke 14. Luke 14. Now great crowds accompanied him, him being Jesus. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me, it does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? Someone say, count the cost. Whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, the other, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore, in light of everything he says, if any one of you does not renounce all that he has, cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. Jesus is giving some of you to be salty. Amen? But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him ear. I've been preparing for this sermon not just a week, but probably a decade. And there are some books I think you should take pictures of because these will help you. Most of my content comes from these books. Take a screenshot. But the title of my sermon today is simply this. Count the cost. Count the cost. Turn to your neighbor and say, count the cost. Now turn to the other neighbor that you abandoned, unfortunately, at church and say, count the cost. I'm just warning you. My sermon is going to be aggressive I love you. If you're new, hope to see you next week. Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in this faith community. God, in five short years, we've seen 300 people say yes to Jesus for the first time. Just unreal, God. And we're, we're, COVID couldn't kill us. 5 p.m. couldn't kill us. But God, if we don't follow you the way that you've called us, that can kill this church. We walk in one way, Jesus, but we want to walk out another. We love you, Jesus. We want to talk like you. We want to act like you. We want to love like you. We don't just want to study you, Jesus. We want to experience you. If you believe that, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? It's just a rule of house. We just get excited before the sermon. Come on. Salvation is cheap. Discipleship will cost you everything. Salvation, Jesus died for you. In discipleship, you die for Jesus. Salvation is the wedding day. It's fun. Discipleship is the marriage. Salvation is what God does for you. Discipleship is what you do with God. And too often I'm guilty of this. Pastors preach decisions. Raise your hand and receive Jesus. And they don't preach a life of discipleship. 
And what ends up happening is hard times come, troubles come, calamity comes, COVID came, and I saw half my church leave. Why? Because when troubles come and you don't, you, you don't preach discipleship versus decisions, instead of being devoted to Jesus, you become disillusioned with Jesus. And I just got to remind you, Jesus is not a salesman. He, he's not trying to hide the fine print and tell you how hard it is. And like, oh my gosh, you need to buy this. He's not trying to trick you. He's being very clear in this text. It is hard to follow him. Count the cost. He's also not a serviceman. He's not Burger King where you get it your way, okay? He's the king of kings. He's going to tell us to do things that we don't want to do, but that's why he can ask us because he's God. He's Savior, which means he's literally saving us from something we couldn't save ourselves from. Namely, sin and death and hell. And for many of you who are new to Christianity, this doesn't sound like the loving God all of us hear about, right? The guy who eats rainbows and poops butterflies. Like, like, like who is this Jesus? And you have to understand, these are his words in the third year of his ministry. These are the hardest, the heaviest words he uses. In year one of his ministry, it was follow me. And then in year two of his ministry, he would say, if, if you're my disciple, you need to do these things. You're, you're my disciple if... And in John chapter 6, he had hundreds of disciples, hundreds of followers, and they all left him. And this is year three of his ministry. And his tone has changed from follow me to you're my disciple, now pick up your cross and follow me. If I can show you the progression, it's follow, you got to do these things, now it's go and die. And so often we, we have orthodoxy, but we don't have orthopraxy. For those of you who went to public school, that means you have the belief that Jesus is God, but you don't live in light of that truth. Listen, the demons know that Jesus is God. How is your life any different from them? As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, we worship Jesus, we love Jesus, we pray to Jesus, and listen, we obey Jesus. And there's Jesus in this text, he's saying one thing four different times. And it's going to feel very Groundhog Day-ish this morning. I'm just going to keep pounding this nail. It's going to sound repetitive. It's because Jesus wants us to understand this. If you're a disciple of Jesus, don't quit. If you're a disciple, we're in a generation of quitters. If, if it gets hard, quit. If it's difficult, quit. We want the path of least resistance. I lose my patience in the drive-thru, right? I'm not even moving my legs and I'm getting annoyed. Imagine how uncomfortable it is when Jesus tells us to do something we don't want to do. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. I learned this in seminary. My professor told me, if you take notes in church, you're more likely to go to heaven. And I raised my hand and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Never heard this before. What are the odds? Like 95%. So if you want to go to heaven, you might want to write this down. Point number one, don't quit. Someone shout, don't quit. Luke chapter 11, let me repeat these words to you. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and all the Laker fans, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If this is your first time at church, this is like almost offensive. Like, this is the God of love. This is the God who talks about love, who demonstrates love better than everyone. And here he is using the word hate. In my home, we're not allowed to use this word. My wife will correct me. We don't use that word. I think Jesus never met my wife before. <laughs> and what is he saying? You have to understand, the, the Greek language is way more verbose than the English language. 
So, for example, there, there's four different words for the, the word love. There's eros, which is love between two lovers. There's phileo love, which is a love between brothers. Then there's agape love, which is God's love for us, which is unconditional. And every time the Bible uses these words, it simply translates it love. Love. And you miss not the meaning, it's depth of meaning. So when the Bible's saying, hate your brother, hate your mom, it's not really saying that. It's saying something different. The theologian Daryl Brock says this, the call to hate simply means to love less. The image is strong, but it is not a call to be insensitive or to leave all feeling behind. Following Jesus is to be the disciples' first love. This pursuit is to have priority over family members and one's own life, which means that other concerns are to take second place to following Jesus. Jesus is saying, don't, don't, I'm not telling you not to love your mom and dad and your sisters and your brothers, but my, the love you have for me trumps them. I have to be number one, he's saying. And it's not the only time that, that this language is used in the scriptures. There's this family that the whole world was blessed through, the, the family of Abraham. And God often describes himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The middle son, Isaac, had two kids, Jacob and Esau. And in Romans chapter 9, God says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't love both kids. He just means I priorities for the fat one. I want to work through that one. And what Jesus is saying in this text is, of course, you're supposed to love your parents. God, in the Ten Commandments says, honor your father and mother. It's so important. He says it twice. It's actually the only commandment with the promise. If you do it, you live a long life. Well, what if my parents aren't honorable? You do it anyways. And then multiple times throughout the Bible, God describes marriage between us and him as this marriage covenant that we're the, we're, the, we're the bride and he's the groom. And then he tells husbands, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did he, how did he do that? When he was on the cross, faithfully loving us, we were, we were walking away from him. Of course you're supposed to love your parents. Of course you're supposed to love your spouse. What Jesus is saying is you will feel relational tension. I wrote down like this, you will face relational pressure as a disciple to quit. Because what will happen is your parents will say, no, 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 I don't want you to go to church. I don't want you to read your Bible. I don't want you to serve. I don't want you to be a Christian. If you're going to live in this house, you're, you're going to listen to me above them. And Jesus is saying, don't quit. He's saying, you need to listen to me above everyone. This is why some of you, your family, Thanksgiving, Christmas were awesome until you became a Christian. And then your siblings started giving you trouble. You're ruining our relationship. You're ruining this family. Why did you have to become a Christian? And Jesus is saying, essentially, don't be surprised that when you follow me, you're going to face pressures. You're not doing anything wrong. In some communities, some Muslim countries, the moment that you accept Christ, it's a death sentence. They will literally hold a funeral, even though you're alive, and they're symbolically saying you're dead to us. My own mom, when she became a Christian in 2003, she didn't speak to her relatives for three years because they shunned her. I wonder how many of you, in an effort to be loved by family, to be loved by your siblings, have kept your mouth shut because you're embarrassed of Jesus. You don't want to be hated because you think you're doing something wrong if everyone doesn't love you. I remember this is exactly what I experienced. I, I remember I became a Christian, and for the first six months, I didn't understand it. I was afraid of sharing my faith. I was the only one of my nine high school friends who became a Christian. And for months, I would pray, God, show me how I can share my faith with my friends. That's why we started this church, by the way. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians could come, but, listen, unchurched people could come as well. 
So if you're new, let me, let me tell you, this is a place where you can ask questions, you can push back. You're going to be challenged to grow, but it's also a place where you can out, ask questions and doubt as well. And I remember for six months, I'm like, God, how do I do this? How do I do And I finally had the courage, because I was living in L.A. at the time. I came up to the Bay Area to share my faith with all my friends. I said, you know what? This is a good time to share with my dad, too. <laughs> right? I'm at this dinner table, and he's on one side. I'm on the other. And I'm telling him, you know, I'm going to church more often. And he immediately says, don't do that. That's stupid. Don't be like those dumb people that go to church every week. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is not going the way I wanted. And eventually I just let him know, like, Dad, I'm a Christian now. And it, it, you can, like, cut the atmosphere with a butter knife. There was so much tension. And him and I began to argue. And, like, we're both standing. I'm not going to stop being a Christian. And then he asked the question I didn't expect him to ask. He says, please tell me you're not giving them your money. I just went silent a little bit, you know. I said, well, I'm giving 10%. And I remember he grabbed this glass, he was having tea, and he literally slammed it on the table, and all this glass shattered in my face. And before you think I'm courageous, I was 25 at the time. I didn't live in my father's house. I wasn't under his financial provision. I don't know what would have happened if I was 15. And that's the pressure that some of you are feeling. Your family members say, how dare you follow Jesus? You're you're Rodriguez. You're supposed to obey me over Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Don't quit. Count the cost. I'm the, what Jesus is saying is very similar, listen, to what cult leaders say. I want you to give your life because I gave you my life. The difference between a cult leader and Jesus is cult leaders will ask and ask and ask, and they'll give you nothing. And before Jesus asks for anything, he gives you his life. He's the only one that can ask these things. And I wrote down like this, committing to Jesus is committing yourself to the same kind of opposition that he endured. He wants you to love him above your parents. He wants you to love him above your own children. Listen, he wants you to love him above your own spouse. In our church, we're, we're so good at reaching young couples that just had their first kid. Because that's when things go crazy. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're just here to, like, raise our che- G- kids to know Jesus. Like, no, you're about to have a divorce, right? And uh, the kids revealed how broken the marriage is. And because women are more humble than men, they get saved first, right? Not calling anybody names out. And then there's this tension. Why are you going to church? Why are you serving there? I don't want you to raise our children with these values. If you keep going, I'm going to divorce you. And we coach every woman who's a Christ follower. I don't want to divorce you. I don't want a separation. But don't make me pick. You're not my number one anymore. The Bible says I'm supposed to pursue my number one with my number two. And don't be surprised when you face relational opposition. People say, I want to follow Jesus until you get treated like Jesus. How do you expect to look like him if you're not treated like him? This is why Jesus says his his language progresses from follow me to come and die. To follow me to pick up your cross. And we we say this this cultural euphemism. Oh my gosh, my wife, I went out. Got to pick up my cross. My car's in the shop. I got to take the bus to work. I got to pick up my cross. It's like almost offensive. Right? Because literally in that culture... Picking up your cross was a sign that you were on death row. They didn't have the cross where you were being executed. You would literally pick it up 
and put it on your shoulders. And I studied this, that crosses were not like brand new pieces of wood. You would use a cross that 10 other men had died on. So their blood, their feces, their urine would be all over it. And if you couldn't pick it up and carry it, you died on the path because the execution was your result. They didn't care if you died on the way or being crucified. You were going to die. And you would carry this cross through town and people would spit on you. They'd mock you and they'd make fun of you. And Jesus saying, that's what it's going to take to follow me. And too often we preach, just raise your hand, do what you want, go live whatever, however you want, and then one day you're going to get a plane ticket to heaven. Between your salvation and your resurrection is what's called discipleship. And in salvation, Jesus died for you. In discipleship, you died to your flesh for Jesus. And anyone can get married. It takes courage to stay married. The wedding day is easy. Staying married is hard. It's hard in our culture. We, we live in the, the, the convenience culture. We, my wife and I don't even go grocery shopping anymore. We Instacart. <laughs> I don't go to Target anymore. I get two-day shipping. Right? Amazon Prime makes the, the apple a day, keeps the doctor away. Amazon Prime keeps you know, me from getting COVID from other people. <laughs> and, and, and I'm honest, like, when I go to a restaurant and I want medium, if they cook my steak well done, I'm like, excuse me, I need to talk to the manager. What is this? Right? We have this attitude. We're critics. If we don't like something, we write a Yelp review. And that mentality where I'm a critic, I'm a consumer, comes into the church. And instead of asking, what can I do to build this church? I ask, what can this do to serve me? Why isn't he preaching the sermons I like? Why aren't we singing the songs that I like to hear? Because nobody cares, bro. That's why. We say this all the time. If you're a Christian from another church, your preference matters less than the non-believer. We expect you to give more than the non-believer. And we expect you to serve more than the non-believer. Because not only do we want to worship Jesus, we want to create a place where non-believers can come. A hundred years before Martin Luther went to the Catholic church and gave them the 95 Theses, which is basically salvation by faith alone. There were these Christians called the Monrovians. They were the first Protestants. They don't get credit for it, but they didn't just have a robust theology of salvation. They had a robust theology of, of being missionaries. And they would send out more missionaries than any other denomination in Christian history. And when a Monrovian would go on the mission field, he wouldn't take his suitcase. I wish I could have brought one of these. They would take their coffin. And they'd put their clothes in there because it was prophetic. I'm not coming back until I die. And I wrote it down like this. Jesus doesn't want your Sunday. He wants your life. He doesn't want an hour. He wants everything. Some of you have not counted the cost. You've come in and like, oh my gosh, this is hard. And you quit. And Jesus is telling you, don't quit. You need to love me above every relational pressure. It's so difficult. You need to pick up your cross and follow me. And these Monrovians, I was so challenged. Because they would literally write a letter before they went on the mission field. It was their letter that they wanted read on their funeral. There's a letter from a woman her name is Karen. She was 20 years old, and this was the letter she gave her pastor that she handed to him before she came back in a coffin. 
You should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. The missionary heart cares more than something is wise, risks more than something is safe, dreams more than something is practical, expects more than something is possible. I was not called to comfort or success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I love you and my church family in his care, Karen. That's a real ride or die. I know our culture tries to sing songs about that's a ride or die. Point number two, don't quit. I think you're going to see the theme right here real quick. Luke 11, starting at, I'm sorry, Luke 14, starting at verse 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost. Someone say count the cost. Whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish it. The point that Jesus is trying to make is that we say yes too often. We don't do our homework. We don't plan ahead. We don't say, should I be saying yes? Jesus is essentially implying, if you say yes two times, it's better than completing those two times than saying yes seven times and completing none of those things. In the same way, it's the same as a dude going to his house, like, I want to build an extra bathroom. I want to build a second story. And you begin ripping walls out, laying foundation, and then you realize two months in, oh my gosh, I ran out of money. And what's true of buildings is true of your faith for some of you. You said yes, and you started following Jesus, and then it got hard, and it became too costly, and you weren't willing to sacrifice, and you walked away. And it's like a half-finished building. It looks like this. This is a building in Barcelona. This is the La Sangrada Familia. It's been being built for 130 years. They keep running out of money. They keep running out of vision. And that's literally what some of you look like. Your faith is in progress and it's never completed. Because you take a step in, you're like, oh my gosh, this is too hard. And then you take a step back and completion stops. You, you want to say yes. And Jesus is not a salesman. He's not trying to hide the fine print. He's not saying this is easy. He's saying this is hard, but it's worth it. Count the cost. And when you say yes, don't quit. That's what he's saying. Don't quit. If I could speak to all the ladies in this place with style and grace for a moment. When you say yes to Jesus and quit, it's the equivalent of a woman who dresses white on her wedding day. Because she's been fasting for 90 days. You know, got to look good, right? She's got the cake, got the flowers, got all of her family and friends. And then the wedding day is fun. And if two months in, you realize, oh my gosh, this is for 50 years. I don't want to pay this cost. And you call your groom and he's like, yeah, I'm going to divorce you. He's like, why? Why are, you, why are you leaving me? He's like, yeah, this is difficult. I had a lot of fun wearing white, taking pictures, eating cake, but I don't want to suffer. That's what it looks like when you say yes to Jesus and then you walk away when it gets hard. You're about the wedding, but you're not about the marriage. And Jesus, I love the analogy that he uses. He uses the analogy of a bride and groom. In 2 Timothy, he says that he's faithful even when we're unfaithful. So even though he's the one getting down on one knee saying, will you be my people because I want to be your God. When we're unfaithful, he's still faithful to us. Anyone be thankful for Jesus? 
I can speak to all the finger warriors in this room, all the men. Saying yes to Jesus and then quitting is like a dude joining like a CrossFit gym or a, a, a military team, like the Navy SEALs or the Marines, and you're about to camo and staying up late at night and playing video games in cars and working out. How much you bench, bro? And then the bullets start flying. You're like, yeah, deuces. And you're like, where are you going? The battle's about to begin. Like, yeah, I, I look good in these pictures with you guys. I love the camaraderie, but I'm not here to suffer. And Jesus doesn't want a percentage of your life. He doesn't want an hour on Sunday. He doesn't want a percentage of your income, percentage of your free time. He wants your entire life. I wrote down like this. Maybe this will convict some of you. Jesus says, if we don't count the cost, we will be like those people who get halfway into ministry, halfway in business, halfway into our marriage, halfway into our family, and quit because we think it's too expensive. And Jesus is telling all of us, don't quit. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't quit. Turn to your other neighbor and say, don't quit. Point number three. By this point, it should feel like Groundhog Day. Only I'm not Bill Murray. And there are no gophers in this room. Point number three, don't quit. Luke 14, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, if any one of you does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. What's going on here? What's the analogy Jesus is using? This king gets angry, gets filled with pride. He goes, we're going to war. Calls all of his generals. How are we going to win? They're like, we're going to forfeit. We're going to surrender. He's like, why? Let's go to war. Like, king, you should have came to us first. He's got 20,000. We got 10. You didn't count the cost. You didn't evaluate if we even have a chance to win. And that's what Jesus is saying. Some of you raised your hand. I want Jesus. You found out it's hard. You're like, I don't want Jesus. You join the dream team. It gets hard. You want to quit. You, you, you go from church to church. You never commit because you want the, the path of least resistance. It's March 5th. How are those New Year's resolutions coming? What Jesus is trying to say, disciples, don't quit. The root word for disciples, the same root word for discipline. I wrote down like this, a disciple of Jesus is disciplined. Getting married is easy. Staying married is hard. Getting saved is easy. Being sanctified is hard. Making babies is fun. Raising them is hard work. Back in the day, it was like 2007, maybe even 2006. This is like some of you don't remember this because you're so young. But before Spotify, my generation had to suffer with this thing called the radio. Oh, my God. Like, if you didn't like a song, you couldn't, you couldn't skip ahead. You had to turn it down and then, like, wait two minutes and then turn it back up, right? And then before, like, Bethel Music had, like, their own station or Elevation or all these amazing worship teams and Bold as well, before they had their own station... Like, you had to go to Caleb to wear, listen to Christian music. And I'm just being honest, I can't stand Caleb. <laughs> I know that's sacrilegious for some of you. But it, it wasn't the songs, it was the testimonies. Then people walk in like, oh my gosh, my marriage. Oh. 
I have like credit card debt, and then I met Jesus, and everything's good right now. I'm like, you didn't meet Jesus. You met Jose Cuervo. What is that? <laughs> Maybe Captain Morgan. You know what I'm talking about? Because when I met Jesus, life became harder. You know what a good testimony is? Life was hard. I met Jesus, and it became harder, but he makes it worth it. He gives my pain purpose. I wrote down like this, Jesus doesn't fix everything. He just gives pain and death purposeful. When my wife was giving birth to both our kids, what they did is they took this long, like nine-inch needle. It's called an epidural. And they would stick it into her spine. She was like, oh my gosh, this is so painful. And the moment she's relaxing, putting on makeup. Like, I gotta look good for the pictures. I'm like, what is this? I want one of these things. And some of you, that's your mentality with Christianity. You think the moment you place your faith in Jesus, he sticks a needle in your back and he takes all the pain away. What my wife had, though, before the epidural was a midwife. And the midwife would grab my wife's hand and she didn't take the pain away. She said, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. That's what Jesus is offering. He gives you purpose in your pain. Pain is coming whether you're a Christian or not. He just stands next to you when you're going through it. Some of you are going through pain alone. Some of you, your marriage is crumbling alone. Invite Jesus in. He doesn't make everything go away. He just makes it worthwhile. There's this, there's, anybody love war movies on Netflix? I don't know what my wife, she, the first nine years, we didn't watch any action movies. And now she got filled with the spirit. And we watch like three a month. It's awesome. <laughs> 1917, all quiet on the Western Front. And I, I'm just a, I'm a historian about wars. And there's this city in the Bible called Galatia. It's a book of the Bible. Paul wrote to them. Do you know the Galatians were one of the best cities that defended their city for hundreds of years? They never lost. It, was it, did they have a moat around their castle? Did they have walls like the Great Wall of China? They didn't have like a, a cliff protecting them. They had nothing physical. They didn't have better weapons than other people. They didn't have like giants on their team. How did this city, how did this, this, this Galatia win? They were undefeated for hundreds of years. And historians figured out when you fight with purpose, you fight differently. See, what they would do is these men, they would bring their wives and their children to the edge of the battlefield. Then they would kiss their wife and their little kids, and they'd look at war and they'd say, if I win, I take you home. And if I lose, someone else will. And listen, some of you, the reason why you don't fight is because you have no purpose. And when a man and a woman don't have purpose, you distract yourself with pleasure. That's why video games are so popular. Because you're trying to rescue people with your thumbs. No one gets saved. No one gets rescued. No one's life is different. I'm glad you can take your, your, your character to level 40. Are you taking your church to the next level? And I wrote down like this. Christianity isn't lacking men who are good at video games. It's lacking disciples who follow Jesus and don't quit. When the Spanish Inquisition would come to the North and South America, they would land... They would unload the ships, and you know what they'd do? They would set the ships on fire. It was their way of telling all of their men, we're never going back. 
we're all in. And some of you need that mentality with Jesus. I'm stepping in, and no matter how painful, no matter how hard my marriage is, I'm not going to quit. Because here's the reality. You're going to die one day. And Jesus doesn't want you to quit on your marriage, on your family, on your kids, on your church, and on your faith. The only thing worse than dying is having a wasted life. Jesus is telling you, don't quit. Don't quit. Point number four. At this point, you should clearly see the pattern. Don't quit. Don't quit. If I can get the worship team to come up. This is Luke 14, 34, 38. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. I'm not sure if you've ever done this, but like my wife and I, we, we buy this certain type of kosher salt, and it's always out at uh, Whole Foods. So we usually buy like two boxes of it, and one of the boxes will sit in our cupboard for like a year. And then we'll come back a year later, and guess what? It's still salty. Because salt doesn't lose its flavor. So what the heck is Jesus talking about? Because he's talking to first century Jews. And their salt wasn't pure. It came from the Dead Sea. It was mixed with other elements. And over time, that salt, it lost its flavor. The purpose of salt is to enhance flavor. It's to preserve things. And Jesus is using a physical thing to speak of a spiritual reality. You and I are salt and light of the world. We're meant to preserve the kingdom. We're supposed to enhance life for other believers. But what Jesus is saying in this, it's going to sound harsh. He's saying your discipleship, it's worthless. Some people are like, no, 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 Pastor Ali, I'm a snowflake. I'm special. Yes, you are. And you're worthless. Some people are like, no, 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 Pastor Ali, I'm made in the image of God. I'm infinitely valuable. Yes, you're valuable and your discipleship is worthless. The best way to explain this is that about six months ago, the Lakers were valued, I don't know why, $4.5 billion. Their team is worthless. That's you. You have value. But your walk with God is worthless. You don't share your faith. You don't serve your church. These aren't my words. So if you're angry, write at Jesus at bold.church. And if it bounces, that means he doesn't care. My question is, how does, how does your faith look like? Who are you serving? Who are you giving to? Are you just studying Jesus or are you truly following him? Are you one of those people that just loves to read and read and read, but then you obey very little? I love that when Satan came to, to Jesus and Adam, he quoted scripture. He knows the Bible better than you. The difference between you and me is that we obey, and he never does. And Jesus is saying it's not enough to know. You can't just have orthodoxy. You have to have orthopraxy. If you're my disciple, don't quit. Some of you in this room, you're new to Christianity. You're like, this is crazy. I can tell you, think how crazy it is that this God-man would make these requests and yet he has a billion followers because he's worth it. 
He doesn't take pain away. He gives it purpose. Tears may come in the evening, but joy comes in the morning. He doesn't change your circumstance. He changes your perspective. Some of you, you may walk out of this room and your marriage is the same, your boss is the same, your bank account is the same. But when you walk out with Jesus, everything is different. Jesus is saying, if you invite me into your life, you can go through hell. There's a man by the name of James Clear. He wrote a book called Atomic Habits. He says, one of the most effective things you can do to build better habits, whether they're spiritual or not, watch this, is to join a community where your desired behavior is their normal behavior. If you want to follow Jesus with all your heart and not quit, guess what you need? A community that doesn't quit. Can I tell you, you know what's going to kill this church? It wasn't COVID. We did church online for 60 weeks. Didn't kill us. You know what also not going to kill this church? 5 p.m. We would do church in a room that was 95 degrees. We didn't need to preach on hell. We ex- had you experience it. <laughs> Half the room was fanning because they were melting away. About to meet Jesus in five minutes. None of those things killed this church. But you know will, what will kill this church? Consumeristic Christians. Christians who know the truth but don't want to obey it. Who want the wedding day but not the marriage. Who want salvation but not discipleship. Who want all the benefits but don't want to pay the price. And so few of us give so little to the one who gave so much. I'm going to read you a letter from a man in Zimbabwe. His entire tribe had a a different faith, and this one man became a Christian. And when the elders of that tribe found out, they came to him and said, if you don't renounce Christianity, we're going to kill you in the morning. And that night, this man who was guarded in his hut had had to ponder what Jesus meant to him. He'd only been a Christian for a few days. And he wrote this letter that's been made famous in a lot of books. It's called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. And I want to read it to you. This is, he wrote this letter the day, the night before they killed him. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. And my future is secure. I'm finished with low living, slight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, popularity. I don't have to be right. First, Tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith and lean on his presence. I walk by patience, lifted by prayer, labored by power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, and my way is rough. My companions are few, but my guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I can't be bought, 
compromised, detoured, lured away, turned away, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to go until he comes, give until I drop, preach until I'll know, and work until he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. If you can bow your heads and close your eyes. Some of you need to make a decision. Are you going to be a Christian by name or by life? For some of you, attending has been your goal, and God is calling you to a higher level of obedience. My challenge for everyone in this room is what is your next step? And with a connect card in my hand, for some of you, it's going to be in a moment, I'm going to ask you to pray to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. For others of you, it's time to go public with your faith. In April, we are doing baptisms. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe like James Clear, if you want that habit that a community has, you need to join that community. If you want to not quit, you need to join a community that doesn't quit. We don't quit. Take our building, we're still going to go. For others of you, it's time to go from a tender to builder from seeing the chair to building a church. On March 12th, we're doing growth track. What's your next step? There's some of you in this room, you didn't know Jesus loves you. You didn't know that he left heaven, not as a salesman, not as a serviceman, but a savior to save you from sin, death, and hell. And he didn't die because you and I were worth it. He died because he's good. And he knew he could never bridge the gap through our good works, through our own efforts to reach him. And because we can never bridge the gap, he became the bridge. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he came to die on a cross as a substitute for our sins. And the work of a Christian begins simply with faith. I believe. And then he calls all who believe to follow. For some of you in this room, you've never placed your faith in Jesus. And I would love to pray that prayer with you, with every eye closed and every head bowed. That's you this morning. You want to start a relationship with the living God. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. On the count of three, I want you to just shoot your hand up if that's you. One, you're not saying yes to me. You're not saying yes to the church. You're saying yes to Jesus, the living God. He can make these extravagant demands because he gave it all for you. He died for you, proving his love for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. One, two, three, if that's you, just shoot your hand up. Amen, amen. Just say this prayer, all of you out loud. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me, for dying on a cross for me, I confess my sin. I repent. I turn from my ways and I follow you. As much as I understand, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Give me a community so that I don't quit. I don't understand it. 
but I believe you're worth it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, come on, can we give it for the hands that went up? Come on. Come on. If you can stand, we're going to sing some songs. I want to challenge some of the disciples in the room. If you're new to our church, this call and the challenge is not for you, but this is for those who call Bowl Church your home. It's what's called a giving ladder. And you have to self-identify where you're at. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are a follower of Christ, and you have never given, Jesus will challenge you, take that first step of obedience. And he's challenged you, tip him. Yes, we celebrate baby steps in this church. Maybe your next step, if you have tipped, is step two, consistent giver. Every time you come, you tip Jesus. And watch what it does to your heart as you begin to obey him more and more. The step number three is intentional giver. You've chosen that amount before you walked in the room, not, I got a five and a one. I got five on, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You've made that choice. I'm going to give Jesus this every month. Step four is threshold giving. It's what the Bible calls the tithe. It's what my dad, when he heard, he threw that glass in my face because he knew the amount was large. This is the floor for giving for Christians, but it doesn't end there. Some of you who have given generously, it's the fifth and final step to grow in obedience. It's called the tithe and offering. It's what you give above the tithe. It's what you give above and beyond. It's spirit-led giving, actually. That you have been obedient, but the Spirit of God will say, I want you to give more. And as you obey Him, as you follow Him, you're going to be led by your Spirit. So let me just bow your heads and close your eyes. Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus, that every perfect gift is from above. God, we don't want to just follow you with our lips. We want to follow you with our life. And God, your lordship isn't just in the songs that we sing or our attendance on Sunday, God. It needs to show up in our wallet. You are my Lord, Jesus. Help me take that first step of obedience to help build this church in Silicon Valley. And everybody said... Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you found this message encouraging and inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that God wants to speak to you. See you next time.